0: touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer at How Stuff Works and I love all things tech. And now that we get all the celebrating out of the way, we got the birthday cake cleared out of the studio, all the balloons are out of here. We can get back to business now. Before we started celebrating Tech Stuff's 10th anniversary, I was talking about eBay, and I did a couple of episodes about it. So let's do a quick recap before we continue our story. Uh, eBay was created by Pierre Omidyar. Uh, originally, it was called Auction Web, and that was underneath a larger website called eBay that had other stuff on it, including an Ebola virus page, and. Omidyar had created it as sort of a hobby. He had not uh, anticipated it becoming a business. He just wanted to create a fair marketplace for uh, exchanges, for auctions, because he felt that, uh, that there was a need for that. And he had a cool idea of how to implement it. Uh, He had to start charging a small fee for successful auctions in order to offset his web hosting service. There was so much traffic going to AuctionWeb after the first few months that his web hosting service said, hey, uh, we're going to have to charge you for a business website as opposed to a personal one. So you're going to have to pay $250 a month in order to keep this site active. So in order to offset that, he started putting in a small listing fee for any successful auction. So if an auction completed, he would take a small percentage of that in order to offset those costs. But he ended up making enough money from AuctionWeb to make that his full-time gig. So he quit his day job, and AuctionWeb, a.k.a. eBay, became his main job. It became his full-time occupation. He brought on a friend to help run the business, and later they brought on Meg Whitman to run it. She became the president and CEO of eBay. Whitman prepared eBay for its initial public offering, or IPO. That's when you list on a stock exchange and you sell shares in your company. And that IPO was successful enough to turn midiar into a billionaire. So he was wealthy beyond his imagining at that point. In 1999, about a year after the company went public, eBay had a site-wide outage that lasted nearly 24 hours and required a quick response from the company. I'll talk a little bit later in this episode about the infrastructure they created to try and prevent that from ever happening again. And some other quick backtracking that I need to do because uh, I got up to 2002 in our last episode, but I skipped over a couple of things that I think they weren't mentioning. One thing I did not mention in the last episode is how in 2000, eBay created a class it calls eBay University. This uh, this course teaches people the best practices for listing items on eBay, how to sell them effectively, how to create a business using eBay as a foundation. And this would allow people to leverage eBay while eBay also is able to get uh, an advantageous uh, a relationship out of it, so it's kind of a symbiotic relationship. The user is able to expand their reach and use eBay's tools like uh, marketing and listing and all this sort of stuff in order to get their goods out to a wider audience. So let's say that you actually have an antique store, and maybe your antique store is on a little like it's a nice little quaint antique store that's off a little road. You know, you're you're going to only get traffic occasionally from that. People don't tend to go out of their way. But by using eBay, you could have your entire inventory up online as well and even set things aside when you decide to auction off specific things in your inventory that could become your full time business. And you could use eBay's tools to market, to reach out to potential customers, all this sort of stuff. So there's a big benefit to the small business owner. But in turn, eBay benefits because, of course, it takes a small portion of all the sales. And of course, there's also uh, some other listing fees that happen these days if you're listing a lot of different items. I'll talk more about that in the next eBay episode. So classes at eBay University are actually held throughout the world. It's not a specific location that you have to go to. And they're led by members of the eBay community who have a lot of experience in this. Also in 2000, eBay acquired another business called Half.com. Half.com allowed people to sell certain things in limited categories like textbooks, video games, movies, and music. And you had to do it at a set price. So it's not an auction. It's a fixed price approach. But you get to choose what the price is as the seller. Um, It's a store with a bunch of independent vendors. You can think of it that way. So let's say that you wanted to sell a specific textbook. You could actually go onto HALF.com and search to find out if anyone else was selling that same sort of textbook and what price they had set it at, what the average price was. And this would help you determine what price to set your textbook. Maybe you go a little under because you really want to get rid of this thing. Maybe you go a little over thinking eventually someone's going to pay for it. HALF.com took a commission for any sale and sellers were responsible for shipping the actual items within three business days of a sale going through. And oddly enough, even though eBay would acquire PayPal in 2002, eBay would not incorporate PayPal into Half.com until 2013. So that was kind of weird that they delayed so long to put PayPal functionality in Half.com. eBay stated it would operate Half.com as a separate entity maintaining its business model, which was pretty much true until 2017 when eBay shut down Half.com. So it is no more. In November 2000, eBay introduced the Buy It Now feature that allows buyers to purchase an item at a set price rather than play the auction game. And of course, it's up to the buyer to set this. So if a buyer doesn't set a Buy It Now price, it's just a normal auction. But this gave buyers options. They could try to purchase the item at less than the Buy It Now price by going through the auction but then they could risk being sniped out of a purchase or they could just go ahead and buy it for the asking price. So, for example, I might have a lovely vase up on eBay and the uh, the minimum bid for the auction is $20, but the buy it now price is $50. So if you really like that vase, you could just buy it for 50 bucks. Or if you felt, oh, I feel pretty good about this, I don't know that a lot of people are looking at this, I'm going to go ahead and put in the minimum bid of 20 bucks. And you could just try and buy it for that. And if the auction expires at the end of the set time, and you are the highest bidder at twenty bucks, you just saved yourself thirty dollars. So it's kind of a, a a game almost, or it's you know a bar a, a a risk sort of thing, depending on how you want to look at it. But it gave options to buyers. eBay also released an API that is an application programming interface. They did that in two thousand. That lets developers create their own apps to interact with eBay, so uh, it, it lets you have some functionality with eBay, and you can do it in different ways. You can incorporate it into different websites, that kind of thing. In 2001, and this is on eBay's own corporate history, a special auction saw a pair of blue jeans sell for more than $46,500. Think about that, Dari, uh, pair of blue jeans that cost $46,500. What what? Those jeans, by the way, were the oldest pair of Levi's known to exist. The auction was partly presented by the History Channel and who was the lucky bidder who put forward nearly 50 grand for a pair of jeans? Any guesses? Any guesses, Tari? You going to guess? Tari's not guessing. Give me a guess. Who would put up 50 grand for a pair of blue jeans? Levi's vintage Levi's. They date from 1880s. Yeah, after. Tari, you got to you got to be faster than this. You got to be faster. People can't listen to this. tell me. It was actually the Levi Strauss Company, the company that made the blue jeans, paid fifty thousand dollars or nearly fifty thousand dollars to buy the blue jeans. That is the most expensive refund I have ever heard. Uh, actually, they just wanted it so that they would have these vintage jeans, and they planned on making uh, replicas, essentially, of the jeans and selling them. The jeans, like I said, were dated to the 1880s, which means that Jack the Ripper could have worn them, but he probably didn't because he probably didn't wear blue jeans at all. eBay also launched the eBay store in June 2001. That allowed sellers to create a virtual storefront that would hold all their listings, as well as let them put branding on the page to differentiate their stores from other people's stores. And it eventually included marketing tools for users as well, like email newsletters. So this gave people who had an eBay account the chance to have their own virtual storefront. So instead of just listing things on eBay, so you have maybe you've listed 20 different things on eBay, but they're all kind of just random and they don't appear in any one location. It's just if people happen to be searching for that particular type of item, then your listing might pop up. By having a virtual storefront, people could actually go through all the things you have listed on eBay, and it's almost like you are your own little tiny store. And in fact, you could be if you had stuff that you were making, for example, and you wanted to make it available on eBay, you could have your own little storefront. So this really changed things up a lot, too. Now we're finally back up to 2002, and I realized that was a lot of stuff I left out of my last episode But during that last episode, I felt the trajectory toward the PayPal acquisition was really important. As for that acquisition, David O. Sachs, who was the COO and the product leader of PayPal at the time of the acquisition, wrote a great piece on Quora, that's the question and answer website, about why PayPal chose to sell to eBay. Why why did PayPal want this acquisition to take place? Well, at the time, PayPal was working hard to scale up because payment processing businesses are only really profitable if they scale. And eBay represented the majority of all payment volume on PayPal at two-thirds of all transactions. eBay also had other payment solutions connected to its service, not just PayPal. So you could pay through credit cards, eBay had its own proprietary approach, and others. And so there was a possibility that eBay could end up Taking PayPal off that list or push other people to use its own proprietary approach and that PayPal would suffer as a result. Eventually now PayPal's off eBay volume, the stuff that people are using PayPal for that doesn't involve eBay at all would be larger than their eBay volume. But in 2002, it was a different story. So if eBay were to flip that switch, if they were to say, let's really push people to this other proprietary approach, that could have possibly Uh, hamstrung PayPal enough so that the company would have failed because two-thirds of their volume was going through eBay. So they were really dependent upon eBay. In addition, according to Sachs, PayPal was anticipating some legal battles over the use of the service in association with stuff like gambling sites. Now, there was nothing illegal about the arrangement that PayPal had, but there was a perception that politicians in the United States in particular were arming up to take a swing at online gambling and that... They might argue that PayPal was enabling gamblers, and so when the opportunity came, PayPal ended up agreeing to this acquisition deal with eBay in order to join forces with the company so that PayPal could survive and grow. eBay would benefit from that as well, obviously. Now, it's going to be fun to revisit that topic when I get up to 2014 because that's when PayPal and eBay parted ways, and I'll explain all about that and why it happened in the next episode. In 2003, eBay continued making acquisitions of other auction and commerce online companies, including a Chinese commerce company called Eachnet. And it continued to grow and add more users at this time. Employee Jim Uncle Griff Griffin published a book called The Official eBay Bible, which was a manual to help buyers and sellers make the most effective use out of eBay. Oh, and also that year, Weird Al Yankovic came out with a little ditty, called eBay. And it was a musical parody of the song I Want It That Way by some group called the Backstreet Boys. Now, I'm not going to sing that song because you guys have done nothing wrong and don't deserve to have that happen to you. But I am going to read some of the lyrics to you just so that you can kind of get a feel for this song. So uh, the song opens like this. A used pink bathrobe, a rare mint snow globe, A Smurf TV tray I bought on eBay. My house is filled with this crap, shows up in bubble wrap, most every day, what I bought on eBay. Tell me why I need another pet rock. Tell me why I got that ALF alarm clock. Tell me why I bid on Shatner's old toupee. They had it on eBay. And a little bit later in that song, he has this bit. I am the type who is liable to snipe you, with two seconds left to go. Whoa. Got PayPal or Visa, whatever will please ya, as long as I've got the dough. So he did a really great job making jokes out of the stuff that was very much part of eBay culture. In fact, I haven't really talked about what sniping is yet in these episodes about eBay, and I guess I probably should. Sniping was this practice of sitting on an auction and watching the time run down and then placing a bid just before the auction expires, and you were said to snipe it because you would outbid the previous bidder just before the auction ended. But this is actually a little more tricky than it sounds because of the way eBay allows for automatic bidding. I'll explain that more in just a second. But first, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so we're back and let's talk quickly about how bidding works on eBay. Since I haven't really covered that yet, before we jump back into the history of the company, in an eBay auction, the auction will last a set amount of time and you get to choose what that time is. The seller can select an auction to last one, three, 5, 7, or 10 days. And typically, the seller will also create a reserve price. That's the minimum bid the seller will accept as a purchase price for the item. And the seller can also choose a buy-it-now price, which would allow someone to outright purchase the item for that price rather than bid on it and start up an auction. Or you might not set a buy-it-now price, and you might not do it in the hopes of people going bonkers and bidding up the price to a really high amount, much higher than what you would have set. So it's kind of a, a risk versus reward thing. Now, in normal auctions in the real world, like physical auctions, typically the auctioneer, who I think by law must be able to speak at a speed that defies belief, will call for bids until the bids trickle down to a halt at which point the auctioneer calls for the end of the auction of that particular piece, and the person who made the final bid wins. So you just keep going, and so an auction can last a really long time or be really short. And of course, by wins, I mean the person now has to cough up the actual dough to buy the thing that was being auctioned off. Now on eBay, auctions have a predefined end time. They don't just go when the bids trickle out. So The auction will continue to go until it reaches its cutting-off point or the seller chooses to end the auction early, and at that moment, whomever made the highest bid wins the auction. Moreover, you can make a bid on an item and decide what you're willing to pay for it at max from the very beginning. Let's say I'm on eBay, and I see a listing for an original deities and demigods source book for advanced dungeons and dragons, and I think, holy cow. That's the source book that still has Lovecraft Monsters in it. It has characters from Michael Moorcock's Elric Saga in it. This was before the copyright lawyers forced TSR to change it. I have to have this book. I decide that I am willing to pay up to $100 for this source book because I'm a collector. And the current bid is, let's say, $35. Now, my new bid does not automatically make the price jump from $35 to $100. $100. Instead, eBay will reference whatever the maximum bid was for the person who set the $35 amount. And if $35 was the maximum, eBay will bump up the price to a small amount above $35. Let's say it's in $5 increments. So if someone else bids against you, but they bid below your $100 maximum, you will automatically outbid them a little higher than their bid. So let's stick with my example to explain this better. And let's consider this scenario. Um, Matt Frederick and I are in a bidding war for this AD&D source book. This is a totally believable scenario, by the way. He has placed a bid on the item before me. I haven't even seen it yet. He saw it and he bid on it. And when I go to the item, I see that the current bid price is $35. Now, what I don't know is that Matt Frederick's full bid, the maximum bid, is actually $50 it's showing me $35 because that's the lowest increment above whatever the reserve price was. So I place my maximum bid of $100. And this is what I am willing to pay for that source book. It's kind of what I feel like is my maximum. I don't want to go over 100. When I place my bid, it's as if Matt and I are in a really fast paced bidding war. So his bid of $35, I up it up to $40. But because he's has maximum set at fifty, it automatically bumps up again. So his final bid of fifty dollars finally gets up there, and then my bid, because I said my maximum is a hundred, would go up to fifty five dollars. eBay handles all of this automatically. I don't have to do anything except set what my maximum bid is. So the new price to beat appears to be fifty five dollars. Now let's say Matt checks in on the auction and he sees that he's been outbid. And by me, of all people. So he sees the new price is $55. And he thinks, well, I'm willing to go up to 60 So he bids $60. eBay processes this, but it sees that I have already set a maximum bid of $100. So the price bumps up to $60 for Matt but then automatically bumps up again to $65 for me. And it would keep doing this until it hit my maximum of $100. If someone bid more than that, let's say that Matt goes crazy and he decides to bid $105, then I would be outbid and I would be out of the auction unless I came back to continue this bidding war. The nice thing about this is you can set an amount you're comfortable with and then just walk away. So if you win the auction, chances are you're going to win at a level below your maximum. Like in that example I was just giving, if I bid a maximum of $100 but Matt was not willing to go above 65 I would not be charged the full $100. I would be charged $65 for that. That would be the winning bid. Uh, so that's nice. You, you actually would, quote, it, not really save money, but you wouldn't spend as much as you were willing to spend. And uh, if you lose, you don't end up spending more than you wanted to on the item because you had already set your maximum, assuming that you just set it and walked away. However, winning is a pretty awesome experience. And so a lot of people may find themselves returning to the auction to increase their bids over what their maximum was as they see an auction start to get away from them. And that happens all the time. And it's also kind of dangerous behavior. So you got to be on the lookout for that. And because that's how bidding works, it makes sniping a little tricky because let's say that I see that the the current bid is $35 for this source book and Matt Frederick has set that that winning bid so far. And there's only two minutes left in the auction. And I think, perfect, now I'm going to go and snipe it. I'm going to put in $40 and I'm going to win. But I don't know that Matt has already put in a $50 maximum. If I wait too long to snipe, then all I'm really going to do is drive the price up a little bit and make Matt pay more for the source book than he thought he was going to have to. Which I admit, has its own sort of sweet poetry. Making Matt Frederick have to spend more money, it warms my heart a little bit, but it doesn't get me that source book. So that was also part of the strategy, is if you were going into snipe an item, you had to be ready to go quickly because if you uh, did a higher bid and then found out that the person's Automatic maximum bid was still higher. You had to keep going up until you reached a point where you were no longer comfortable bidding. So before I get back into the history, let's talk a little bit about how stuff works on the back end at eBay, because I mentioned earlier that in 1999, they had that outage. Well, eBay now depends upon a grid computing system to support their service. They have several hundred database servers in several different areas and they store all the information on the site and there's re- redundancy in the system. So you have multiple computers that are actually holding the exact same information, including all the listings that are on eBay. And that is because if one server or set of servers were to crash, another could pick up the load and service would not be interrupted. You would continue to have access to eBay, even though entire servers were down because you have this redundancy built in and they could jump in to take the place of the servers that had crashed. This is one of the things the company did to make sure outages would not happen again like they did back in 1999. The database servers hold all the information, but two other groups of servers support this. There are application servers, and there are search servers. These are the machines that handle the interactions between users and the data stored on the databases. So you can think of them kind of like employees who go from point of sale to a warehouse to actually bring inventory to customers. And then you have the web servers. That's the actual interface itself that users encounter when they visit eBay, whether they are to trying to list an item for sale or they're trying to bid on something or just visit their profile. But that's the basic infrastructure. All right, now it's time to get back to the history, and in 2004, a few things happened. One was that Jeff Jordan became the president of PayPal, which again was operating under eBay at this point. Jordan had been a senior vice president and general manager for eBay's North America division for several years. He had played an instrumental role in acquiring PayPal back in 2002, and he would be president of PayPal for two years. He would step down in 2006. He would later go on to be president and CEO of Open Table, and today he's a venture capitalist. Also in 2004, eBay purchased another company called Rent.com, which is a website related to rental housing. It was founded in Atlanta, Georgia, my hometown, back in 1999. Of course, back then it was called Viva.com. eBay made the purchase for $415 million dollars, in an exchange that included cash and stock but eBay would eventually sell rent.com to another company that today is called RentPath LLC but at the time it was going by the name Prime Media Incorporated the sale was reported to be for around 145 million so yikes you know they bought it for 415 million in 2004 and then sold it a couple years later for 145 million that's a loss But finally, one other story I want to hit from 2004 is a very odd one. You know, we already talked about blue jeans. Let's talk about grilled cheese sandwiches. Yep. In 2004, a woman in South Florida sold a partly eaten grilled cheese sandwich on eBay. And it sold for, get ready for this, Tari, $28,000 for a partly eaten grilled cheese sandwich. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the reason why was because the grilled cheese sandwich had a pattern or apparently had a pattern on it. It's really just random coloration, but still it was, uh, there was some colors on this grilled cheese sandwich that gave a shape that suggested it could be the image of the Virgin Mary. So I say to this, sweet cheeses. The buyer, by the way, was an online casino site called goldenpalace.com, which bought several of these stranger items that have been posted to eBay. As part of a museum of weird kind of thing. I think in our final episode on eBay, our next one, I will have to conclude by talking about some of the strangest stuff that's ever been bought on eBay, which honestly could probably be an entire series all by itself. Well, I've got more to say about eBay, but first let's take another quick break to thank our sponsor. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In 2005, eBay brought on John Donahoe as the president of eBay Marketplaces, and he would later serve as the president and CEO of the company after Meg Whitman's departure. eBay also created a classifieds business called Kijiji, and I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that, but it's from a Swahili word for village, This began as a startup business within eBay itself. It was spearheaded by employees of eBay, so it was kind of like a startup incubator within eBay. It was bolstered by more acquisitions, starting with a British online classifieds service called Gumtree and a Spanish service called Loquo. And in the United States, this service would morph into eBay classifieds in 2010. Uh, It's still called Kijiji in several countries, however. Also, just to stick with this for a little bit longer, the the division had a stake in a competitor-classified site, a little site that you might have heard of called Craigslist. That stake amounted to about 28% ownership of the online classifieds site. But Craigslist and eBay have had a, let's call it a contentious relationship over the years. And each company has accused the other of various forms of skullduggery and general shenanigans, and ultimately, this resulted in eBay selling back the ownership stake it had in Craigslist in 2015. In September 2005, eBay turned 10 years old. I know what that feels like. In an effort to protect their business model and help people who depend upon eBay for their own businesses, the company created a division called Main Street. The purpose of Main Street is to educate communities about the various legislative moves that could impact the way online commerce works. It's kind of a grassroots campaign to get people involved in that sort of stuff. And it's an advocacy group, which is definitely serving eBay's interests. But at the same time, it also helps those who have built viable small businesses using eBay as their storefront to protect themselves. So I could be all cynical about this and say, well, here's a big corporation, multi-billion dollar corporation, and it's leveraging average people to advocate on its behalf. And that's the cynical way to look at it. And in fact, eBay does benefit from this. I mean, they're looking out for themselves. However, the nature of eBay's business means that if eBay were to go away, a lot of those average people would find themselves back at square one. Their way of making a living would go away. So I don't really get as cynical about this. I mean, everyone has a stake in it. So uh, I think it's actually a pretty responsible move on eBay's part. In October 2005, eBay, under the leadership of Meg Whitman, made another big move. This one raised criticism at the time, and perhaps in hindsight, you could call it a foolish move to make, although it wasn't nearly the kerfuffle that some have made it out to be. And that move was to acquire the communications company Skype. Skype was founded back in 2003 as a telecommunications software product that focused on voice and video calls, you know, in case you've never used it. The deal with eBay ultimately meant Skype was acquired for about $3.1 billion. $2.5 billion of that was in upfront cash and stock, and the rest was in uh, uh, future transactions. But ultimately, it ended up being about a $3.1 billion purchase price. Now, Whitman had hoped that Skype would create a new way for eBay users to communicate with one another, that it could be built directly into eBay's interface. And rather than emailing back and forth about items that are up for auction or for sale, Users would be able to connect directly in a real-time communication session. You could have potential buyers and sellers talk face to face. Questions could be answered efficiently and personally, and you'd be less likely to misinterpret something once you could detect stuff like tone and body language. But there was one tiny little problem. Hardly anyone was using it. It was a failed integration. Tech journalist Tom Keating said in a piece that was published on PC World that eBay users tended to want to be anonymous. They preferred to keep things at a distance. They might contact a seller to ask for more information, but typically they would do so in a way that did not involve direct real-time communication. And I can kind of get this because when I call up a company, I'm actually relieved to get an automated system where I can just push a button and get the information I need. I know that I'm not inconveniencing anyone and that the system isn't going to judge me for being dumb if I ask a simple question. At least, I hope the robots aren't doing that yet. Give me a couple more years, robots. The culture of both Skype and eBay was a big clash as well. At that point, Skype was operating more like a loose startup, whereas eBay had already started to establish a very corporate culture. Meg Whitman's leadership had really transformed it from the Wild West startup into more of a departmentalized, uh, compartmentalized corporation. And so those two things were clashing quite a bit. And eBay kept shuffling around the management team over at Skype while trying to find the best fit. And that meant Skype was really struggling to find itself, to find a rhythm and an identity. Ultimately, eBay decided to sell most of its ownership of Skype in 2009 to a group of private investors, and the investors bought about 65% of the ownership of Skype, and eBay retained the rest of it. They paid $1.9 billion to buy that part of Skype, and Brad Stone of the New York Times wrote that, quote, "...the online calling service Skype has thrown off the last of the shackles that limited its growth and potential as a unit of eBay." End quote. Ouch. Analysts looked at this move as one of eBay trying to make the best out of a bad situation. Jeffrey Lindsay, who is an analyst, called eBay's purchase of Skype a quote, serious mistake by Meg Whitman, end quote, and an attempt to buy growth. Now, of course, a lot of companies have bought growth in the past. Like instead of trying to develop new businesses or go into new markets, They buy another company and they grow that way. This is something that happens a lot in business. It's not uncommon. So I don't really think of it as a valid criticism because plenty of companies have done this. But in this case, it just didn't pan out. So in retrospect, sure, you could say this was a bad choice, but that's in retrospect. And at first, it looked like eBay was really going to take a bath on this acquisition and come out with a loss because they had already sold 65% of Skype and at a much lower price than what they spent to buy Skype in the first place. But then in 2011, Microsoft stepped in to purchase Skype. They wanted it outright. They wanted all ownership of Skype and they paid $8.56 billion total for it. And that 35% or so that eBay had retained was suddenly worth a whole lot of money After taxes and debts and all that other mess, it amounted to a bit less than a billion dollars. But it meant that ultimately eBay was going to come out ahead on the Skype deal once everything was said and done. It just took two different acquisitions for that to happen. Now, it doesn't mean that the deal was a great one for eBay, But it also doesn't make the Skype acquisition one of the worst deals in tech history. It ultimately didn't fit, but it wasn't a blown move like News Corp buying MySpace for 500 million and then selling it for less than 50 million. It wasn't as bad as all that. Now, I'm going to end this episode in 2006, and our next episode will bring us from that point up to date with eBay and how it's running today. But in 2006, the most expensive item ever sold through the auction site was auctioned off, kind of. I'll explain why kind of in just a second. But it was a giga yacht that sold for $168 million. That's is insane. So what the heck was this giga yacht like? And what the heck is a giga yacht? Well, a giga yacht is a giant yacht. And you probably gathered that from the name. And I'm looking at a concept photo of this beast, and I am flabbergasted. So it was designed by Frank Mulder, who is a naval architect. And uh, at this point, it's still a design. But here are some of the stats on this design. The yacht if it's ever built, will measure 405 feet long. That's about 123 meters. The design has a multi-level VIP stateroom. It has seven guest rooms, including a children's stateroom. It has a spa that includes a gym. And it has an office and a movie theater and a glass elevator and a swimming pool and a helicopter pad and a garage that can actually have a ski boat and two tender boats in it. It can also launch a submarine from dry dock. And according to one source, the master suite would be 3,000 square feet, which is insane. I don't know if that's true or not, because... It was just in this one source, and when I went to Mulder's actual website, I could not find any information about how big the VIP suite actually is, so I don't know where they got that information. The purchaser on this auction is an oil tycoon from Russia named Roman Abramovich. He made the winning bid. Technically, the winning bid was for a 50% down payment of $85 million on eBay, He was the second bid on that auction. The first bid was $10. I presume that did not meet the reserve asking price. Now, according to Mulder Design, this is still in that design phase and hasn't even started construction yet. So there's no... I have no idea if this thing is ever even going to be built or what the status is on the payment. It could be the whole deal fizzled out, in which case the most expensive thing ever purchased on eBay might be a little further down the list. Also in 2006... Rajiv Dutta would move over as president of Skype to assume the position of president of PayPal and PayPal would launch its first mobile application that year. That brings us up to the end of 2006 and eBay. In our next episode, we will finish out and cover more than a decade's worth of information. Uh, I'm not going to break it down quite as granular, granularly year by year as I have in this episode, but uh I definitely will cover all the big points, such as Meg Whitman's departure from the company and what has happened since then. And we'll also talk about some of the crazy stuff that's been bought on the site. I hope you guys are enjoying this series. If you have any suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, whether it is a person, a company, a technology, uh, maybe there's someone you want me to have on to interview or perhaps a guest host, let me know. Send me an email. The address is techstuff.com at HowStuffWorks.com, or drop me a line on Facebook or Twitter. The handle at both of those is TechStuffHSW. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, and I'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.